It's the Bob McGowan Podcast, and it's brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Uh, with John Shannon, we're going to go in two uh, fairly different directions uh, today. Yeah. Richard Deitch will join us in just a moment, and we'll talk about the Demar Hamlin uh, situation, the Buffalo Bills, the National Football League, what what has happened, what should happen next, um, and uh, Mr. Deitch will join us to talk about that, and then. After that, Doug Smith will be with us. The Raptors are getting ready for a six-game homestand that starts tonight with uh, Milwaukee and uh, is critical to this organization, not just in terms of what happens the rest of this season, but perhaps what they do in terms of their, um, their roster the rest of the year. Do they make any trades? Are they big trade? Well, can you make a trade that's not a big trade in the NBA? I'm not sure you can. We well, no, not with. I mean, not the way the cap works. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean you can trade a bench guy for a bench guy. I mean, I don't think that's that's the answer for the Raptors. But we'll discuss that with Doug Smith a little bit later on. But Richard Deitch will be up next. Stick around. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. It's McCowan and Shannon back with you, and uh, we're joined by our friend Richard Deitch. Um, We haven't spent very little time really talking about uh, Damar Hamlin's um, incident the other night from a variety of perspectives. The first piece of news I guess we should pass along to people who do are not aware is that there was some indication that he showed some improvement overnight last night. Um, but there's no real indication. He's still in a coma, um, I, I assume medically induced, but I don't know for sure. And the information that we are getting is uh, it's very few. It's few and far between. They've been very quiet about about his condition, uh, that he is still listed in critical condition. I assume you don't know anything beyond that at all, Deitch? No, I mean, what I know is what you've read. Obviously, we have uh, at The Athletic, we have, man, it feels like 50 people who are part of the news team, including, obviously, Bengals reporters and people based in Cincinnati. And that seems to be the latest that, um, you know, he's still in critical condition as we're taping this. Um, but there did uh, the family, from what they released, does seem to indicate that the news is better than um, better today than than in the last couple of days. Like th- there seems to be signs of like um, increased oxygen and things like that. Uh, but you know, he's you guys both know this. If you're in critical condition in an ICU, it's still very very serious. So you know, if you're a uh, if your person believes in prayer, um, this is a guy I think who still needs it. Yeah, and the longer he is in uh, critical condition, um, the more critical 
for lack of a better term, I think he is. Don't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I think just as a layperson, you'd like to get some good news over the next couple of days. That I mean, I don't know if this is naive or not, but you know, the one thing I do sort of hold on to is he's 24 years old. You know, he's a professional athlete. He's in sort of the 99th percentile of you know human beings in terms of condition. So my hope is that helps with recovery. And then nobody knows this, but I, I imagine the medical people who worked on him probably have a real sense of what the situation is and how quickly they were they were able to get his heart to to start again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I would say Bob, the longer that we hear the family sort of release information that that at least is positive. That's a good sign. Like, you know, a lot, of, I think when things seem dire, people sort of don't talk. And the right. fact that there are family people talking, I, I take that as a good sign, a positive sign. One of the reasons you're on here today, Richard, is you're one of the preeminent media writers and, and critics, if you want to put it that way. Um, and, and we wanted to talk about how it was covered on Monday and what you thought of the reaction of uh, not just ESPN, but if possible, multiple networks on how news of this ilk is covered in a world that doesn't normally cover these types of things. Yeah, John, it's the old joke, by the way, in terms of being a preeminent media writer, that 275 will get you on the New York City subway these days. So let me just give my... Well, every, everybody's a media expert because they got a television in their family room, so... Yeah. Or a Zoom, uh, or, or, or a podcast, or, or a Zoom meeting. Hold on, um, a podcast different. Podcasts are different. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'll focus, obviously, a lot on ESPN, because um, to start with, just because um, they had the game, and so everything sort of was filtered through them on that um, initial day. And I thought they did, honestly, an, an extraordinary job. Um, you know, there, there are people who do what I do who um, have not praised them as highly as I have, and it's all a subjective thing, but... You know, the way I look at it is this has never happened before. Essentially unprecedented situation. Player goes down. Player potentially may be dying on the field. Yeah, I know it happened um, in 1971, but that's essentially a different lifetime. We live in a different world now. And so the thing I appreciated first about the broadcast was that you never saw Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, like, speculate. Their words were sparse. They mm -hmm. they sort of said very little, and I think that was smart. You know, you don't want to – you don't want to say anything that you end up being totally wrong and that you can't take back. Um, I thought the production, like the director and the producer made really smart decisions. If you remember, if you watch them on the night football, not a ton of close-ups. They shot the field wide. So it's not like you put a, like a big close-up on the ambulance or something like that. I thought they were respectful of the moment. They only showed two replays. And again, news people can argue how many you should show, how many you shouldn't. I thought that was a pretty thoughtful move as well that you showed the replay but you didn't show it over and over and over again which i will point out john because you want to mention that is something the cable networks in the u.s did cnn repeatedly showed it mm -hmm. others do that's it's just a different way to look at news obviously then espn has to go to the studio so they have Susie colber booger mcfarland adam schefter and again this is an unprecedented situation you're 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 in new york the game's in cincinnati those guys have no idea what's going on. They're they're basically just they're reading Twitter and the web just like we are. So you got to do all that stuff on live TV. I thought Booger McFarland was really really good. He just used his experience as a former player, particularly a defensive lineman. All those guys are in combat on every play. 
and was very quick. He might have been the first prominent person to say, like, this game's got to stop. Like, you can't you can't return to the field and expect these guys to play. And then um, again, I, I, I thought that ESPN was smart. They went back to Troy Aikman and Joe Buck and Lisa Salters, but they didn't sort of stay there for an hour. They they then went back to the studio, and mm-hmm. then eventually, I don't know how many Canadians saw this. It was on TSN. You know, Scott Van Pelt, who's a prominent ESPN Sports Center anchor, he had Ryan Clark on, he had Lisa Salters on. And they had really thoughtful conversations just like beyond like the play itself on like, like what, you know, what is this sport? Like what's the sport and like what the responsibilities are of these players and how should we think about violence? And you make this covenant if you're a player like every day in many ways to like not think about the possibility of, you know, seriously getting injured or dying on the field. So I thought ESPN honestly did really, really well. I thought they handled the situation, which had never been, essentially, again, an unprecedented situation, um, really smartly, professionally with humanity. From what I saw, the cable networks, John, I got to be honest with you, I'm so down on U.S. cable that I see everything through that prism. And the prism that I see it through is just essentially, if it's not conflict television, it's just television to like blare at you. Mm -hmm. It's so, I mean, I know a lot of Canadians don't want me to say this because I I flag wave on this, but you're so fortunate to have the CBC, which really does a lot of like explaining and like education. And it gives people who we normally don't hear on air, like voice. U.S. cable television, essentially, at this point to me, it's like an entertainment medium. It just wants Mm -hmm. to keep you watching, keep you entertained, keep eating chicken wings. You know what I mean? Until the next segment. I hate it. I hate to be cynical, but that's sort of how I see yeah. it. Actually, TSN, uh, TSN did carry most of Van Pelt stuff after yes, 11 Eastern uh, on TSN 3 uh, because they still had a World Junior Hockey game going on, on on all the other channels. So their sports center was gearing up for the World Junior Championship extra. Um, and I thought Ryan Clark and Van Pelt were good foils for each other. Yeah. Good discussion. Uh, good discussion. Um, th- there were times where you thought Ryan Clark was going to the line of, of making the league the scapegoat in all of this, and yet Van Pelt would push back and direct him to a much more compassionate position. I, I thought they did a good job. The one thing I would say is, um, this is, and, and this is difficult. And and I, I I come from a point of view of having worked at the CBC and understand what the CBC does. Um, the moment that Hamlin goes down, this stops becoming a sporting event and becomes a news event. Of course. And you have to, you then have to flick a switch. And at the CBC, you you flick the switch and you pick up the phone and you pick up the phone to, we were on the seventh floor, they're on the fourth floor. We pick up the phone to Mansbridge and his boys on the newsroom. How can you help us? And what I found on Monday night was there was no help. And I'm not sure it was asked for. There was no help from the giant machine that is ABC News. I think that's a very, very, that's a, that's a smart and thoughtful statement. And I think that's, that's fair. The question then for, I I, Mike, I don't even want to say I would counter, but, but here's sort of how I would respond. I think ESPN is in a better place to, to, do that story than ABC because of the sports angle. But, and this is where I agree with you, ABC should have medical experts, right? They Correct. should have they should have at least the staffing 
that is able to provide extra information for the broadcast. And I, I think that's fair. Um, CNN did, you know, they brought their medical experts in. Um, I think Sanjay Gupta was in, if I remember correctly. He so, was. You know, they, they, but here's here here's the one thing, John, I would say to you, and you're a producer and, you know, you had to do this live. You know, there really is a fine line, right, between having a medical expert come in and offer medical expertise, and then that medical expert is just guessing what it is. You know, you don't want to be wrong on whatever the diagnosis is. And so in many ways, if you bring the medical person on without having been there, they're sort of just taking a guess on what they've seen. I guess at the same time, in many ways, we're all guessing, right? So I'd ra maybe you'd rather have the medical person guess than a sports anchor guessing. Right. And I think that's, I think that's really the key, you know, yeah. um, doctors and medical experts are trained to speak the language right? and, and how to couch things in a certain way so that it doesn't make, make it look like an instant diagnosis. These are things to contemplate. It would be, it, it's a tough spot. I mean, I, I can just imagine Richard and having been in a mobile and, and gone, we, we went through this with Chris Pronger in the late 90s in Detroit, this this very type of thing. And yeah. at a certain point, you're as the producer, you hit the button and say to the anchor, we're coming to you. And the anchor's eyes bulge out saying, I got nothing to say. Right. Yeah. And they say, well, we don't care. You have to come on and do your job. That does happen. So I felt for Buck and Aikman, and I felt for Lisa Walters uh, to an extent because they were getting little or no information. You, This is where the NFL turns the tap on and the tap off, where everybody went into lockdown information-wise. And so the, everybody's put into that really compromising position of speculation. And well, it's, this is that's difficult. Let, yeah, let me push back. This is where, again, I thought Buck and Aikman and Lisa Salters were excellent. They didn't speculate. They basically right. just – the only thing Lisa Salters did – was to tell you what she saw with her own eyes on the sideline. What Buck Ken Aikman did is they discussed what they knew. And then obviously if you're Troy Aikman, you discuss it from sort of a player mm -hmm. perspective where your example comes in. I, and I agree with this when they went to the studio because they, you know, they want to get away from the broadcast. They want to protect the broadcast in some way. You don't want those guys to go 50 straight minutes. Susie Colbert, Adam Schefter and Booger McFarlane. If you're Susie Colbert, who has to sort of host that, that's where your eyes are popping out like, that's all right. right. And she had a tough I'm time. Not, Rich, Richard, sure. Susie, Susie had a tough time. Yeah, well, that's. I think she had the toughest spot because she had to, she's not there on site and she has to, from New York in this artificial studio, sort of navigate a situation which she has very little information on. And I think in that situation, that's where Booger McFarlane really helped that yeah, yeah. group out. And if you're Schefter... You know, you're an information guy, right? You're really, your expertise is transactions. It's talking to um, agents. It's talking to coaches. It's talking to owners. So if you're him, the really only thing you could say there is just, you know, what he said, I guess, is just like, you know, the only thing that's important is this young man. This is the focus we could go on. But he he wasn't bringing any information to it. If If, and it's very nitpicky because, again, I thought they did a good job. In that situation, John, you are correct. Like that segment, maybe a medical person helps them or mm -hmm. someone who's a former league official who mm -hmm. could sort of tell you, okay, if, if this had happened on my watch, like here are the steps that we would do to, to try to figure that out. If nothing else, it bails Susie Colbert out, right? Because then she doesn't have to just go five minutes of ultimately 
either repeating the same questions or repeating the same theme of we we really are praying for this guy. The the, the other Let's, challenge, sorry, 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 Bob. The other challenge is that um, there's a real point where sports people, and I, I view myself as one of those guys, gets emotionally involved. And you and and news people don't. They find a way to separate themselves from inc incidents. They do find whether that's that journalistic line, you uh, know. Well, hey, John, let me just. I, I, I mean, I don't know. You you watch the coverage of the of the of Queen Elizabeth dying. You see a lot of those journalists that they cross that what the line you're talking about now. I I I, um, I I don't I don't think so as nearly as much as I think that there was a lot more. Uh, I I didn't see much much, and I I didn't I must be admit I didn't watch much of the the Queen's passing I, I know to, what you're to discuss. I, I mean, but I, but I mean, the, there 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 becomes a point, Richard, where I think that 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 flick that switch gets flicked, where you stop being a sports person and you become a news person, and you have to deliver the goods, you know, in a difficult nature. This goes back, Bob. Remember the day we did nine eleven. Well, sure. It, it was hard. Oh, my well, let goodness me ask, gracious. Let me, let me ask this to Bob, because obviously this is some, you know, out of all of us, he's been on the air for the longest, and he was on the air in a massively prominent position when bad stuff happened. So, Bob, to me, I'm just telling you as a listener or as a viewer, I like it when my host or news person or whatever shows me a little bit of emotion because I feel like they can relate to how I'm feeling at home. Like, I don't always need edward r morrow on a rooftop like just playing it straight like i don't mind emotion i wonder how you saw it because you were on the air when some major things happened well i was on the air for 9 11 i was also on the air for the uh california earthquake the la earthquake that was uh quite devastating uh you know so look i you just you do what you do that's that's it you 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 gather information you pass along information are you emotional? You have to be emotional. Can you be a human being knowing that 3,000 people have died in New York City um, and not pass that emotion on? I think you have to. Uh, you, I, you know, I've been asked before. I, I was just doing what I thought was right. You know, I, I, I wasn't thinking about, about the repercussions of it, the ramifications of it, whether people were listening or not listening. Whether people just basically said, click, you know, I'm going to go someplace where there's news rather than a sports guy who's talking about this. And remember, 9-11, we talked about for like that, that dominated us for three, four days. Exactly. Um, on the on the uh, on the Hamlin incident, there are a bunch of things. Number one, let us not forget. We saw Buffalo players in tears, such mm -hmm. as we have never seen with an injury. Um, uh, before and the reason was this young man was dead he was on the field lying on the field motionless and not breathing these these guys believed that their teammate had died and if he had essentially he was brought back to life so you know put all of that in perspective you understand why the emotions were what we saw uh, either live or on tape the second issue is now there's some controversy over whether the National Football League canceled this game or whether the players and coaches 
cancel the rest of the player of the rest of the game. I believe it was the players and the coaching staffs who I, I know got into some kind of conversation under the stands with the National Football League, but said, we're not playing. I don't believe this was a National Football League edict. You're nodding your head, so you agree? Yeah, no, I I mean, having done enough reporting on the television side, let, let me say this. There is no way, no way, Joe Buck is reporting to a national television audience that the players have five minutes to warm up without having that information cold, without that information being vetted by the National Football League. He said it multiple times. The National Football League has a immediate direct line, as John knows, it's every sport, to their national broadcast. They sure. these the the ESPN is in communication with the NFL during the whole broadcast as CBS is as NBC. Joe Buck repeated this four times. If somehow this wasn't a thing, you don't think the National Football League would have been on the phone with the head of ESPN saying, this is wrong information. Change this stuff immediately. So I am with you a thousand percent, Bob. I think the league wanted these guys to play again. And yep. I think the coaches, the players were like, we can't do that. Screw you. There's no chance we can do that. And now I think it's just totally cover your ass uh, mode for the national football. Well, let me ask you this, Ray. Do you think that uh, the NFL, I mean, the discrepancies between what ESPN is saying since the event and what the NFL is saying, there's a real breakdown of communication between two business partners? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if I want to give the absolute benefit of the doubt, perhaps there was a communication difference in that there were some people who believed that, you know, standing operating procedure is like, you know, you get five minutes after a long stoppage of play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just telling you, you you are t- Joe Buck has been on the air for a long time, right? He's called the biggest of biggest events. Mm-hmm. He more than most of us in life understands the power of words and the power of of incorrect words there is no way that dude is putting that out for an audience of 15 20 million unless he has it cold from the league that makes that decision so in right. my this is just my analysis or hypothesis i think the league wanted him to play i think it was a massive, important game. I think the schedule obviously is very, very hard to change and 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 figure out. There's a big crowd there. They don't want that crowd to be in the parking lot, right, and going home. And then I think eventually the players told the coaches, you know, leaders of the the leaders of the Bills and the leaders of the Bengals, were like, we can't play. Like, we got guys breaking down here. Like, this can't mm-hmm. happen. And then I think the coaches went to the officials, and the coaches decided we're taking our guys off the field. And then the NFL went into scramble mode. The NFL doesn't want to look insensitive, and I think the reality is I think the NFL wanted them to play. Yes. All right. So part part two of that equation is do and I I, I opined yesterday I guess with John that I don't think this game will ever be played. I agree. You agree? I do. I think the I think the only solution it is not a great solution is to. Um, have the Bills and the Bengals have one less game, and you just base whatever everything is on the percentages. That, exactly. Predict. That's I don't. I don't. That's not based on news. That's just my guess too. Yeah, it's interesting that the league has yet to make any kind of announcement on this, though, isn't I it? I agree with you. Yeah, because um, I, this affects so many teams. Like, like, sort of what these two teams will be sure doing. Sure, it does. Right? So, like. You know, even um, and again, it's it's obviously not nearly as important as um, 
DeMar Hamlin's like life and struggles he's going through. But, you know, I, I mean, teams have to practice, right? And teams have to decide like how they're going to approach this weekend. Um, the Bills in particular, it's interesting, like the Patriots have a game where if they beat the Bills, they're in the playoffs. So that game like has significance. Right. Um, so you have to know, like, one is the game on and two, like, you know, what time is it and and all that stuff. So, yeah, Bob, I, I, I we're taping this on Wednesday. I would guess later today we're going to get some scheduling information from the NFL. That's just a, I don't know how much longer they can let this thing go because I feel like the teams have to know. What do you, John, you're shaking your head. You don't agree. Well, I think they're trying to try to wait and and just like they did last weekend when it came to the allotment of games this weekend to networks and time slots. I think they're going to wait to see if, in fact, the game does need to be played for playoff ramifications. I think there's almost no way the game would not need to be played for seeding, right? Even though both teams exactly. are exactly, so that's it, it has to. It, it would have to be played. But if, if you're the, if you're if you're going to use say that they have to play 17 games in order to, to yeah like if, make if a you decision. except if except if the Bills lose this weekend, it might change a few things. It does that's all? But what happens if you're right? It does. But what happens if the let, let's just play it out? If the Bengals and Chiefs and Bills all lose, like I don't expect that to happen. But right. it would, you'd be in the same situation for the seating. All the more reason to wait. Maybe. Which is all, and and I, I just, I mean, I just. The, but do you are, see? Do you see them? Uh, we're a little late for time here, but do you see them then no. trying to reschedule this? Yeah, game like logistically, John, how weekend? would you do it, John? After? I, I, I I don't I I don't, I don't have that answer because yeah. I, I I agree with you, but I but I don't I, I'd be surprised, and this is just my personal opinion. I'd be surprised if we saw any announcement other than the one I they gave you. out on Tuesday, Tuesday which yeah. said this weekend is not going to be affected. The game the is thing, not going to be played this weekend. The one thing I would say to you, you two guys, and I know John knows this too. Um, the NFL schedule is so locked in the post. Right. The totally. Networks, there's no week to play it. You know what I mean? Right. That's the problem is they can't add an extra week because of all the dates are set. And this is where Bob, I agree with you. I just, I think they're just going to, I think they're just going to punt on it and basically say the game doesn't exist. Like, I don't think it'll count yep. as a loss or a tie. I think it just won't count. That's my guess. Right. I That's agree. Right. Yep. Uh, listen, there's lots more to talk about, but we'll hopefully have time to, uh, to do so. And we, uh, we certainly hope that the next time we gather that we have some positive news or more positive news on Mr. Hamlin and his condition. Uh, Richard, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate yeah. it. Happy new year to your listeners. Great to be with you guys. Same to you, Richard Deitch. Back in a minute. The Bob McCowan Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or even becoming a parent. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. The therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and teaching you 
productive coping skills. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash bobcast. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bobcast. Uh, we are back. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon with you. And our friend Doug Smith of the Toronto Star is uh, is with us now as we uh, change our focus and take a look at what the uh, Toronto Raptors are at. They have a, uh, what, a six-game homestand? Is that what it is? Yep. Uh, every other night, starting tonight. And, um, well, you could you can make the case that here we are early January, and this is critical time for the Toronto Raptors, but not just for their playoff aspirations, but maybe for the future of this club. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So make it or break a two-week period. It goes right into the trade deadline. If they lose four of them or even three of them and, and drop further in the Eastern Conference, I can see them trading off guys the February 9th trade deadline to get young kids and picks. So, yeah, this is a it's, – it's, it's a put-up or shut-up time for the players. The, the story has been uh, that there are many teams sitting around waiting for the Toronto Raptors to decide what they're going to do. Um, do, you, do you subscribe to that theory? Yeah, a bunch of executives I talk to are just sort of waiting to see. The Raptors have a lot of different level players they could move anywhere, anyone from – you know, Fred Van Bleet, Siakam, Gary Trent Jr., uh, Ananobi. They got a lot of pieces. And until they decide which way they're going to go and who they're going to put out there, I think the rest of the league just sort of wait and sit around. And there's still a month or five weeks to go till the deadline. So there's not a huge sense of urgency, but the rest of the teams want to see where Toronto goes first. Hold on. You said Van Bleet's on that list? Oh, I think so. He's going into a perhaps a contract year. He's got an opt-out in the summer. Um, I, I think if if this thing keeps going south, everybody's in play because it's obviously not working. And Bar- Barnes, Barnes, and Siakam too. I don't know about Barnes, although I would put him out there. Uh, Siakam is another guy you're going to have to pay a lot of money to. I would personally keep him because I think he is one of the top 15 players in the NBA, and I think you need to keep something here. But you know, Mazai will do whatever he has to do, and he's shown it in the past that he can be. Re- relatively ruthless when it comes to making player moves. So he's obviously, you know, obviously there are going to be some players involved, but you think this is really a, a draft choice um, kind of decision? I think they'd like to, if they're going to go that route, and I don't know that they will, I still think they think that they're good enough to get in the mix and make some noise and develop in the playoffs as opposed to developing in the summer. But I, I do think if they, they can't get to the bottom four. I think the bottom four is so bad, no matter what the Raptors do, they can't get that bad. Mm. But if you get to where you're picking six to eight, then I think you got a lottery shot you might want to investigate. But again, I don't know that they're going to do that, but it's certainly on their idea. It's, it's in their minds because it's a possibility. But hey, yeah. Doug, I, I watched the Indy game. And here, here we're watching the Indiana Pacers. And the Raptors were supposed to be better than the Indiana Pacers. Uh, when the season started and and now it's the reverse. Now it's, it's the Raptors are the also rans and and the Pacers are, are playing better. What level of what sense of frustration do you get from not the players? Because players will always be frustrated from, from the front office. Well, every time early in the year, and even in the training camp, we talked with Bobby and Mazai and the word was they didn't know what they had. They wanted to find out. Well, they, they thought they would find out good. Well, maybe sometimes you find out bad, and and that's when you got to reverse course or change course in the middle of the year. They didn't know exactly what they had going into the year. 
they thought they would be far better than they are right now, 15 and 22, but they're not. So guess what? Sometimes the things you find out aren't necessarily good. Um, we, we have, we talk a lot. People talk a lot about, um, their bench. Do you think the weak, the real weakness in this team is the fact that they can't get guys to come off the bench and perform well, or uh, is that just part of the problem? That's part of the problem. I think the major problem is they just don't guard people. They don't defend well enough. And if you defend well enough, then you can sort of hide offensive limitations, which the bench is. The bench is not it doesn't score a lot, and it was never going to score a lot. We say we said it when the three of us talked in September that that was an issue, that the bench scoring was going to be a thing, which is why I think and still think that that's where Gary Trent helps his team, coming off the bench and scoring with a second unit. But they're so desperate to win that they got to use them with, his, with the other top four scorers to give them a chance each night. But, but so let's I, be honest. The guy has – he, he oh, and Siakam are the two guys that really have performed consistently. A hundred percent. And Gary is, Trent has done a great job. He got, he got hurt. He was a little bit sick, a little bit banged up coming back. He's shown he can do it either as a starter or as a backup. Yeah. And I think you might need him. I think you need him with a second group, but that's again, they decided they want to throw all their eggs in their starting basket. And we're, we saw an Indy that's an, some nights an abysmal failure. Well, but if you start, if you put him in the second group, I mean, somebody's going to have to be elevated to that starting rotation, and 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 it, they don't have anybody right now. I I think a Chu is the guy. I've always thought that. I think he is the starting center on this team. I think you start Van Bleet, Barnes, Ananobi, Siakam, and Achua. and he missed seven weeks, and that's obviously a reason for it. Right. But I think pretty soon you're going to see that's where they're going to go, because it gives him a little bit more balance. He doesn't need the ball to score. He does. He's not going to. You know, Gary's going to get you 35 a night, but he's going to take 20 shots. But she was not going to take 20 shots because he doesn't do that. And I think that balances out the groups a little bit better. But again, he missed six and a half, 24 games, a quarter, more than a quarter of the season. So that hung, that hung them up a little bit. But do you and think it, do you think Achua is a good enough, is good enough at the post? I think he's a good enough back end defender. Yeah. He's, he's not, he's certainly not, um, Miles Turner or Sabonis or that that, that level of a top blocking presence, but he is a legit six eleven long wing long armed active defender. I think he could help them, and he's far more offensively capable and fits better, I think, than Coloco, the rookie, who might be that in three years. Force feeding him time this year was done by necessity, but didn't do the kid any favors because yeah. he's getting scorched some nights. How much of this do you think is due to all the injuries this team has had since September? Oh, that's been disruptive, but every every in the league has been through disruption. Like right. every, I think basically every team in the league has lost key players for substantial amounts of time. I look at Miami's had Butler in and out, Lowry in and out, Adebayo in and out, and they're what four games better than the Raptors. Yeah, Indiana's had guys hurt. Uh, like everybody has, so it, it's a it's a part of it, but it's not certainly not um, solely a thing that the Raptors had to deal with. Every in the league's dealt with it better than Toronto has. So what do you think, what do you think the Raptors need? What do you think the Raptors need to do? Do they, uh, is, is the problem they only have one point guard effectively uh, who they're, they're happy with. That's Van Vliet. Do they need a, a big guy? You know, what, what is I, it? What are, what are their needs? I think their their needs are 
and that's this has been consistent since November. They need shooting. Whether that's right. a, whether that's a six foot ten guy who can shoot and stretch the floor, or whether that's a backup point guard who can shoot, they need someone who can score the ball, because that's the problem. If they don't, if if they score, they get their defense set. If they miss shots, they're defending in transition, and they're not quick enough to do that. Well, well. Porter was supposed to be that uh, a guy who would help them in that, and he has played virtually not at all. Yeah, and we there's it no. It sounds like he's not going to play imminently, is he? Yeah, there's no indication when he will play. I, we asked Nick yesterday, and is he coming along? He's no, he's not. So we don't know when that's going to be. It's a dislocated toe. I I don't know how. Obviously serious, but we don't know. We can't count on him at all. So if they're going to go out there, if they think the season is the season is salvageable, they got to package up something to find some shooting. And the problem is, the thing that they got that's probably best to trade would be Gary Trent, who's their best shooter. So I don't know what they do otherwise. I maybe you can deal picks and some of the guys at the back end of the roster, like a guy like uh, Thad Young's contract is expiring. Uh, Chris Boucher has been a bit of a disappointment for stretches of this year. Maybe you look at packaging up those guys, but yeah. but I think if they get more shooting, a lot of woes will be solved. But you're the, also... the other the other thing, ahead, Doug, John. is if you're talking about trades, isn't this a cash in cash out league? Because you're going to have to try to balance a, a, a trade in that yeah. in that way. So yeah. you're getting I'm giving you my junk. You're going to have to take <laughs> take well, yeah, junk you, back. Yeah, it's ages of junk and how long their contracts are. Yeah, you know. What I mean? So that that's the balancing act in trades. Is you get okay, I got a guy with. I can get rid of two years of contract for a one-year contract. Yeah. I'll probably do that. Or I gotta, I can take back two years and only give up one. I'm willing to do that. That's where the the intricacies of trades happen in the NBA. Yeah. Well, look at you. You don't want to give up Siakam, but let's face it, he's the guy who gets you the most in return. Oh yeah, but your team is so bad without him. Like so, like un, un- I agree. I agree. I don't think you can do that. No. I'm not sure you can't trade Van Vliet though. Oh, I think there's be, there's certainly be a market for them. Yeah, like, they put Van Bleet in either of the two LA teams, and they're way better immediately because he's a veteran point guard who can make a shot, but he also knows how to play the game. So Do you think Ananobi has that kind of? Uh... Yeah, I think I talked to other GMs and other player personnel guys, and he he would probably start on twenty five other teams. Yeah, just because he doesn't demand the ball, and he's a great defender. And you can whatever offensive issues he might have, you you don't have to deal with those because he just guards guys. Yeah, yeah. He would he would bring he would bring a big return. But again, he's twenty six years old. He's got a lot of upside. If you any the thing, I, I know people say tear it down, tear it down. It takes maybe three years to fully tear it down. Right. Then it takes five years to build it back up. So you're talking almost a decade before you're really good again. And so I don't see tearing it down to the wood as a, as a as a feasible thing to do. I really don't. I never have. Well, the, the other and not to to beat a dead horse here about Van Vliet, but if he can help, you know, the Clippers or the Lakers, I mean, why isn't he doing a better job here then? What is this? Just, is this just a, a change of environment? Is and personality he's playing with. Like you put him with uh, Kawhi, Paul George, and the Clippers. He doesn't have to take twenty shots. But anymore. so, so the, the the Freddie trade, the, the the any potential Freddie trade really means they're waving the white flag. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, because they, they don't have. Would you start Malachi Flynn? 
He would. He probably wouldn't win. Wouldn't I, win I don't know. Game. I mean, Nick didn't play him for a while, and now we, and then Nick was lamenting the fact that we, Flynn's not getting enough. Uh, yeah, that was some court time, of, and now then he's getting court time. So that I mean, was one of the that was one of the great misspeaks of all time. Nick saying, "I wish we could have got him in there." Well, you're the guy <laughs> who could have got him in there. So yeah, that was one of the great what moments <laughs> of the season. But yeah, I, Van Vliet would absolutely bring you back a, a good return, but if you're trading for him. That means you must want to win now, so you're not going to give up good players. There's a double-edged right. sword in that one. Yeah. One of the one of the big questions on the Raptors is that this is a team whose coach believes in defense, who play terrible defense, and um, they played good defense. They play good defense when they win. When they win, it's yeah. it's a team that plays great defensively. But most nights they play bad defense, and. They they don't play a strict man to man. They certainly you know they go into zone very very rarely. But mind you, this is the NBA. That's that's pretty rare. What's the issue with the defense of the Raptors? Are they just not good defensive players, or do you think there is a philosophical problem with what the coach wants them to do and what they're capable of doing? I think there are some system issues that need to be addressed for this reason. Nothing they do now surprises anybody in the NBA because everybody does it. Yeah. All teams switch pretty much everything. All teams are six, eight guys who are long, and they got a bunch of them. So what made the Raptors unique and caught teams by surprise doesn't catch a team by surprise now. So I think there might be some tweaks have to be made there. And again, I think it gets a little bit back to effort. you got to get guys who can keep the ball in front of you. And if you score, you get your defense set, that helps you too. So there's all kinds of – there's myriad issues with the way the team defends. But the one thing is, what they did that made them so good, everybody does, or a lot of teams do. Mm. So you don't catch teams by surprise anymore. Trapping, doubling, switching everything. 20 teams in the league do that. So teams come in, okay, we're seeing it again. We know how to attack it. Well, three years ago, they didn't see it. They go, oh, whoa, whoa, this, is, this is screwing us up. Well, that doesn't anymore. Do you think Nick should change the defense or I is trying that- to change the defense now? I, I don't know that he can – I think he should. I don't know if he can. I think they need to be a little bit more guard your guy. That might switch everything. Guard your guy. But that takes a big philosophical switch 35 games into a season, and I don't know whether it whether it would work well enough to salvage the year or not. And if it's not going to, then maybe they'll trade everybody and get new guys in to try it. Okay. Doug, how's this weighing on the players? How do you see it? When you're around them, you talk to them? Surprisingly, they're holding together really well. There's not a lot of finger pointing. There's not a lot of, oh, this guy's killing us. At least I'm not getting it. Even in private conversations, I'm not hearing that. They're disappointed in each other. They look at guys, like, you got to be better. I got. There's a lot of I got to be better, which is pretty impressive to me because I've been around a lot of bad basketball teams, and finger pointing is the first thing that happens. Right. And I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a bit of it this year. And, and do you see it? I mean, is this, with the lack of success of this, uh, mid-sized team. Do you can you see this management group actually changing philosophy of the size of the players in the long term? No, or is, I, or is this just a, just is this just the hand they were dealt and they have to find a way to fix it? They got this is what this is what they should be and what they got to be and they got to fix it. They got maybe there's room for improvement individually, skill wise for sure. But I don't think you're going to see them find some seven foot two guy that they throw in the ball into the post every night because that doesn't work in the NBA. And, and that those guys don't exist anymore. There's like three in a league. 
and even like one of them, Jokic, who dribbles a ball at the court. Right. So I don't think the way the game is going, they can't change total philosophies. They just got to be better with what the, with the guys they got. And the funny thing is, they have been. Like, they played some really good games this year, but they played some up, some crap games too. Stinkers. Yeah, and I, that's the frustrating part, is it to them at least, is they see it on a Tuesday, and then they don't see it for another ten days. Well, that's the problem. They haven't they haven't been able to run good games together in any, no. any kind of streak. Have they won three in a row yet this year? Uh, maybe early, but th- that's why this stretch, these six games, Milwaukee, uh, the Knicks, Portland, two Charlottes, and Atlanta. They got to win five of them. They have to, or else. That's a tough. Come, that's a tough ask. Coming out of that on January sixteenth, when they go to New York to start a three-game trip, you know that the, the the trade calls are going to become much more frequent and much more serious. This is the the tipping point of the season. I I really believe these next twelve days. Where where do you see the relationship between Nick and management? <laughs> at, at this point, still fully supportive. Yeah. But. You know, obviously, the Mazai and Bobby Webster are, are looking at it and going, "Okay, this isn't working. Maybe the guy in charge has to make some changes too." So, there, there's no like, uh, we, "We don't hate Nick. We don't think Nick's system is never going to work." But there's a little bit of pressure. They paid him a guy, paid the guy a lot of money to coach a team that, if they fail this year, will miss the playoffs two years out of three. One was a Tampa tank year, and I, I totally get that, but they didn't make it, and they lost in the first round last year. And if they lose again this year and don't make it, well, that's that's a that's a short history of not of non-success that doesn't is not going to sit well with management. I'm hesitant to ask this question because people will think that it it's a leading question. But is Nick Nurse in any jeopardy? No, I don't think so. Not not certainly not in the season. No. But when if they if they finish thirteenth in the East, and it comes to be June first. Everything's on the table. Yeah. As it should be. Obviously, because they would have failed again. Yeah. Make any make any noise in the in the division. Yeah. Uh, we gotta get out of here. Uh we thank you very much for your time, Dougie. No problem, uh, guys. We'll see you soon. Happy holidays, maybe, all may, may, maybe there'll be some good news next time. Well, no. check, we'll check back in a couple of weeks, see where we are, because I might Let's be pulling what, what what hair I have left out of my head. <laughs> and you're not even you're not even coaching. No, I don't even care. But it's going to make my life, it affects my life greatly. We'll be back in a minute. Stick around. Our thanks again to uh, both Richard Deitch and uh, Doug Smith for being with us uh, today, John. So we, uh, we, we, we got Doug's thoughts. What, what do you think this basketball team needs to do? Well, I think they've got to make a deal. I, I am of the opinion, and I, and I was of this opinion for much of last season that this team simply was not good enough. And I think what they have shown defensively this year, whether I don't think it's a lack of effort, I think it's a lack of direction and ability. I mean... How, how can it be a lack of direction? I mean, well, as we talked every, about with Doug, I mean, Nick, Nick's, Nick's a defense-first coach. I, I get that. But you see the Raptors double-teaming all the time on the ball. Yeah which leaves somebody else open and they double team and do And are they getting results of that double team? In other words, are they forcing a guy to turn the ball over? Cause that's really why you double team to force them to do something that they don't want to do. And what we see consistently is the opposition 
plays their way out of the double team to find somebody who's open for a shot. And look, it's the NBA. You're supposed to make shots, and most of the other teams are making those shots. Yeah, particularly beyond the three-point line where the Raptors exactly. are having major issues. I mean, how many times have we seen a guy sit in the corner with a three-point shot, the opposition, and you get some Raptor player who's from 15, 20 feet away yeah. running at the guy? You know, which has real, really no effect. Yeah. You see it all the time, every game, multiple times in a game. How often do you see that happen with the Raptors? Rarely. So, Rarely. so um, I asked Doug this when he said that most guys are on the block. Um, w- would you trade Barnes? Yes. Who wouldn't you trade? Siakam. Just that's it. That's it. Boy, I'll tell you what, I, I, I can't imagine giving up on Scotty Barnes after a year and a half. I Honestly. just don't think, I, I think he's a nice player, but I don't think he's a great player. And in the NBA, you win with great players. Well, you, you, have, you, think, you, you think Siakam's a great player? I do. I do. Personal, I think personal he, relationship aside. A personal relationship has nothing to do with it. No, I know, but you're, you're I just, just I haven't talked sure. to Siakam in a year. No, I know, but I'm just making sure that this isn't just, you know, nope. you like the guy. He's a friendly guy. We've had fun with him over the years. And if if he was averaging nineteen points and and five rebounds or whatever, yeah. I'd probably say yes, trade him. But he's averaging twenty five and ten, or pretty close to that. I mean, this is this is one of the top ten players I think in the National Basketball Association. And I think if you surrounded him, if you put him in a better offense with better players, I think he'd be a better he'd be better himself. There are things okay, about his game that I don't like, yeah. but there are games things about everybody's play, game that so, I don't so, like. So, but you uh, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but I, I like yes, you are. I, I like doing this. You, you've talked about surrounding him with a better offense, and you talked about execution on defense. Boy, that pick that points right at Nick Nurse. Sure, it does. It put, and that's right why I asked. That, I think I asked Doug at the end yeah, whether he did. thought Nick Nurse was in jeopardy here because I can't go anywhere but believe that it's. Nick's system that is failing right now. His he has had an, a reluctance or an inability to assess his talent level and put them in a position where they can win. Yeah, and I think that's mostly defensive. I think that you you can teach defense, yeah, but 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 uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna come to Nick's defense. I don't think management has done a good job here of of bringing in proper talent to help him. I mean, that's fair. I mean, where is that? Where is, I mean, where is that three point shooter? Where is the, where is the quality backup guard? I mean, when they trade, that's all, that's all true, but this team is giving up 120 points almost every night. You know, I mean, there's no doubt. It's easy to look at offense and say, you know, we aren't succeeding offensively because that's points. It's tougher to look at a defense and say, this is not working. But I see night after night a defense that doesn't do a good job, that makes far too many mistakes. But I think the mistakes aren't that are being made are being made because of the pattern, the philosophy of defense that they've been taught, what they're being asked to do. So I think that's on Nick Nurse. Now, is it, uh, this whole six-game homestand is going to be fascinating to watch. Well, it will be, and it starts with with Milwaukee, who's one of the best teams in the NBA, and yeah. that's not a good sign. I mean, sure they could they could win game one, but you know, 
Um, if you lose this one, yeah. now you got five. You got you have to almost sweep. Yeah, you know, people across it's it's interesting, Bob. The, what basketball fans are going through in Toronto, I think now there are team there are three hockey teams in Western Canada, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, asking the same questions. Well, Calgary has played a little better. I know, but there's, you know, as of as of our, our recording, I don't think they're in the playoffs. Um, and, oh, I do. I may uh, be wrong, but I thought I, they were. Uh, if they are, it's by a point, um, you know. But losing again last night to Winnipeg, uh, and and Edmonton's now lost five games at home in a row. Yeah. Uh, and Vancouver, you know, gets to that cusp of credibility and then you know loses again and and so the fan base and the reason i bring it up is that everything you read about what the raptors are going through and what they discuss if you could just take out the name the name raptors and put in oilers flames canucks it's almost the same discussion yeah well because they're 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 not bad enough to be in the in the draft lottery but are they good enough to win two rounds of playoff games? But part of this is expectation, too, you would understand, right? But I, you don't think this Raptor fan base expected to be better than this? Yes, I do. And don't That's you what think, I'm saying and, to you. And, and don't you think that, that all three of those hockey clubs expected to be better than this? I think the answer is yes, they all did. No, I'm not sure about Vancouver. Oh, after the second half that your pal Bruce had? Oof. Still. Well, then, then you know that's a that's an interesting one to be able what the Canucks should do. What, as I said, I think those three teams and what the Raptors are going through, I think there's some comparables, uh, and and it's it's very frustrating to you know to the passionate fan base of all four teams. Uh, maybe so. Yeah. But um, uh, you know the Raptors have been our a focus of our discussion today, and so I um. um I think they're in real trouble. I don't think this is a team that can do what they did last year in the second half. And you do know if they blow it up, it is going to take a long time, as Doug talked about, to get back to credibility. And that's why I'm not sure that they will. This general manager or this president has not been that kind of guy. Now, he hasn't faced this kind of situation before, although you can suggest that two years ago maybe he did. But that was blamed on the Tampa situation and, and the, the pandemic. Well, it, the, the COVID COVID bought them a couple of years of excuses. You're right. You know, we got to get out of here. They're in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot right now. We'll uh, gather again tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.